As the need for meaningful cultural change in the 21st century becomes more of a spotlighted issue, we've also been seeing a steady and problematic rise with economic inequality throughout the country for some time now. And as a quick reminder right here at the top of the episode, while terms like inequality and wealth distribution and the very topic of economics in the first place can be very easily made into political agendas, let's not get distracted here. Familiar listeners already know that this podcast takes no sides and exists for the purpose of sparking discussions, learning while challenging our minds, and building community up. With that said, the subjects and conversations that often stem from the subject of inequality are really rather fascinating. For starters, what's so bad about inequality in the first place, some of you might ask? Doesn't a society need inequality to drive competition and motivation for success? What kind of people would we be if everyone was truly equal? Who truly has the greatest power when it comes to our local economies, not to mention the economic structure on a global scale? In a country known to be one of the wealthiest in the history of the human race, how are we still struggling so hard with wealth inequality? Is there a way, perhaps, that we could innovate a system which would allow the distribution of wealth in a smarter way that's still democratic, fair, and just. What would that look like? Some of you know I've been reading a book called Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth. Let me tell you, this book is nothing short of paradigm shattering, and I mean that in the best way. Now, I should clarify, Rayworth is not just an author and economist. She's a professor of practice at the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences. And just in case that didn't sound accomplished enough, she's also a senior researcher at Oxford University's Environmental Change Institute, where she teaches a graduate level course on environmental change and management. Now, what's a donut have to do with economics? And I know what you're thinking, how many do we have to eat? to make the world a better place. Well, never fear, my lovely little lovelies. It's time to get into another decently dense topic, this time on the often vast and forward-thinking world of distributive economics. And what's so intriguing about this field for me is the clarity it can give you on the opportunities we already have to upgrade ourselves from a society which not only survives, but cooperates, innovates, and thrives. So yes, indeed, it's time for episode 12 of the Sustainable Culture Podcast, Distributive Economics, Part 1, Inequality. Welcome back to the Sustainable Culture Podcast. It's great to have you back. Uh, always good to be doing this. Um, what you can't hear right now is there's, right outside this window, there is a whole bunch of wind and rain, and it's cold outside, and I don't like it. <laughs> 
it's like an April day in July, and I, I don't get it. It seems like every year, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like every year something happens around the 4th of July weather-wise. I don't know. Maybe it's destined. We're always thinking we're going to be able to use the sky and the universe has other plans. I don't know. It's a strange <laughs> it's a strange phenomenon. I don't know if you guys have, have noticed that. It seems like every year something's going on. But anyway, I wanted to uh, mention a little bit of something about the book club that we're doing. I know that some of you guys have heard about the Sustainable Culture Book Club. Some of you may have not. Um, it's pretty new. We've only done one book so far. Uh, the one book that we did read, I believe... I don't know where it went. I had it somewhere. Um, but it's uh, Jane Goodall's Reason for Hope. And we read that book. We went over that book. And uh, there are two episodes covering that. So if you haven't seen our book club episodes yet, myself and Bree, my co-host for the show, uh, she uh, is there the whole time and giving us some wonderful insight. She's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So if you haven't seen the book club episodes, please go back, watch those. Um, get involved if you'd like, and you can read these books with us. Um, in fact, one of the books that I read, in fact, for the book club is uh, Kate Rayworth's Donut Economics. I've kind of read the whole thing already, and I'm not supposed to already be done. But uh, it it was just such a fascinating read that I'm probably going to read it a second and third time because there's it's one of those books that's just so loaded with wonderful information. And so... I was doing research for this episode, and I swear I I only did one chapter's worth of research. I only researched one chapter, and for some reason, I have a million... Let's see, one, two, three, four, five... I have six pages of notes from one chapter, you guys. That's... It's insane. And, and the crazy thing is, this, is, this being a multi-part series here, if you will... I. I mean, today's episode is, I think, only on, like, one of these pages. So, you know, tons of content. It's it's just a... a I, I couldn't encourage reading this book enough. Um, and, you know, I, I, I could talk it up and talk it up and talk it up, but we're going to talk a little bit about some of the concepts here today, and hopefully that will kind of uh, enlighten you a little bit on what the book might have to offer. Now, I don't have any sponsors or anything like that for the podcast as of now. Um, I've never been asked to advertise any products or anything like that for anyone. Um, however, I did want to advertise a little something. Uh, from a, It was actually created by a longtime listener and friend of mine. Um, he has no idea that I'm doing this. So, hi, Dakota. I'm going to advertise your sticker. So, my friend Dakota... Uh, created the sticker. And if you're listening on Spotify or something like that, you won't see the sticker. Um, you have to go to YouTube to see it. But you, you YouTubers have an advantage. This here, if you can see, is a banana with a mermaid tail. It is a sticker of a cartoon banana with a tail of a mermaid. Yes, I'm serious. And it's amazing. It is as amazing as it sounds. I think this sticker is legitimately one of the coolest, most just interesting stickers um that i've seen in a while it's really cool and you can pick these up if you're in Coeur d'Alene, idaho you can pick these up for 4.99 um and over at uh, pilgrim's market just up on fourth street so uh dakota is saving up money to build a tiny house he's already bought the tiny house he's got the frame and he's trying to build the inside of it um for such a young guy he has he is really uh, doing some really cool stuff and just props to you man you're building your own house and you're like super young still. So uh, I would highly recommend uh, going to Pilgrim's Market if you're interested in buying this sticker. 
go check it out. I know Dakota would really like to build his little tiny house, and uh, I really want to see the finished product and everything. I haven't decided where I'm going to put this sticker yet. Maybe my forehead? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, go check that out. I just wanted to, to give Dakota a little tidbit because um, I love the cause, and I think these stickers are super rad. So go check them out. Pilgrim's Market. You will find these stickers in the gift department. Go check them out. Okay, now back to the serious stuff. So today we're really looking at inequality through the lens of this field of distributive economics, of which, by the way, I am not an expert. I've, I've done a ton of, I've taken several economics classes in college. I have, you know, I'm really interested in it. I do a lot of research on it myself, but I am nowhere near some person that you would want to go to for, you know, how does distributive economics work? I could tell you a little bit, but I'm no expert on this stuff. So bear with me. I've, I've done a ton of research on this to give you the best information possible on this. And uh, so just bear in mind before I get into this stuff, if you uh, would like to, you know, comment on anything or critique anything that I'm talking about or, or maybe, you know, maybe fact check me or something like that, highly encouraged, please do. This is a podcast that encourages discussion and disagreement and debate. So please do uh, communicate with me in the email, sustainableculturepodcast at gmail.com. You can comment on the video or on the, on the uh, actual audio uh, that you're listening to on your platform. Um, just send me whatever you like, however you like to communicate. And I would love to talk about this further. This is really one of my favorite topics to talk about. Uh, economics is, uh, is a very interesting, uh, topic to me. It is, uh, quite wonderful. And, uh, I thoroughly enjoy the topic of economics and, you know, <laughs> economics is usually pretty boring. I have to say when you think of exciting things, innovative things, really cool, fun, new concepts coming out that could change the entire way we look at things, economics, I don't know, it, it's, it, to me, I've always kind of looked at it as, well, it's interesting in that it makes so many things tick, and there's a lot of philosophy in there, and there's a lot to talk about, and it's very complicated sometimes, but distributive economics is much different than anything I've ever, ever experienced. Every college class I took, all the research I've done has been on more your straightforward traditional economics that we all think of when we think of Econ 101 and things like that. Distributive economics, I didn't realize this, but I had never heard of these concepts before this book. In fact, uh, if you haven't checked out the Intelligence Squared podcast, I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, Kate Rayworth, actually, on that podcast, if you search up the Intelligence Squared podcast um, from the UK, uh, Kate Rayworth, also from the UK, is on that uh, show, and she is actually talking about her book, Donut Economics, in, in great detail. They're going over it, and, and it's that is what got me so hooked on the concept of of this idea of a, a donut designed economics and what she means by donut, by the way, is this, it's a circular looking and I'll show you in just a moment. Um, this circular looking, it's almost like a graph or it's a diagram. That's a better word for it. That really describes an entire economic system and the goals that it really seeks out uh, to accomplish. And so 
Um, I'll show you that in just a moment. We're going to go over that the uh, the actual donut in, in a little bit. Um, but if you're curious, go to DonutEconomics.com while you're listening to this even, and it'll give you some better information on that too. So inequality, let's address this here. So, I mean, we could talk all day about, you know, the cause of wealth inequality, or we could point fingers and try to play the blame game here about where it comes from and who and all this stuff. But acknowledging some basic facts and seeking out a solution is what's much more efficient and much more important here. We are thinking about forward thinking, trying to focus on whose fault something is and this type of thing. I don't know. I don't know what exactly what you can get out of that. I'm sure it depends on the context. But for me, forward thinking is about identifying the solution to the problem and continuing from there. I think a lot of you would agree. And, it, and that's that's why this is so interesting to me, among many other reasons. Inequality is important to address for a ton of reasons, one of which is because it too easily leads to the degradation of the world's ecology. And let me explain what I mean here. We know this when we use sustainable problem-solving methods. Quick review, okay? Do you remember the value stream? Now, we talked about this. I talked about this on, I believe it was episode seven. It was on my guide to sustainable thinking. Talked a bit about what a value stream is. Now, the business world uses this term a lot, value stream. But in sustainability, a value stream is the term that we use to describe the connections of manufactural processes from start to finish of a product's lifestyle. So for example, a piece of paper, it begins as a tree, which is cut down, expending resources such as manpower and machinery and fuel. That's one step in the stream. That's step one. Then transported to a mill, again, expending resources to do so, step two followed by being processed at said mill, which is step three, and ultimately and finally becoming a finished product, you know, as the last step in the stream. And it's important to remember this kind of concept because it helps us make the right connections with, you know, topics like uh, inequality and things like that. Let me explain a little bit further. So how does income and wealth inequality exactly cause environmental harm here? What connection do those things have? And that's a great question to be asking here. So it starts with our obsession with status. And this kind of comes from our background and our societal, it's like society has taught us, you know, we live in this consumerist world. In fact, we're called consumers rather than people a lot of the time, um, which is weird, by the way. I don't know if anybody else feels creeped out by that, but I'd rather just be called a human being myself. Maybe I'm just being floofy about it. I don't know. But, you know, but we we are obsessed with status and in our consumerism world. And therefore, how do we how do we gain status there? Well, we gain status a lot of the time with money and stuff and things. And, you know, the popular quote of the bumper sticker. I don't know if you've seen it. He who dies with the most toys wins. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, and if you haven't seen it, that's how it goes. He who dies with the most toys wins. It's it's an age-old philosophy that has been in the U.S. for a long time. You know, we, we like to be successful. We like to gain capital. We like to invest it. We like to gain more capital. We like to buy stuff with the capital that we've earned and, and things like that. And that's all well and good, but... 
here's the connection here. Here's what sustainability nerds like me are thinking about when we're talking about what buying things does. How does this lead to, you know, environmental harm here and, and even more importantly, wealth inequality? So let's focus first on environmental harm. So we buy things, right? We want to gain status. We want to be important. We want to look important. We want to look successful. We, it's important to us how we look to our society. It doesn't really matter to us. It, well, I don't want to put it that way. It, it matters a lot to us where we're at in life, how successful we are, but it really, really matters how we look to people. Maybe some of you, you don't really care how you look to people. I don't know, but a lot of people do care. And it's, it's quite, quite clear. You know, we buy really nice clothes. A lot of us, we buy brand name things. That's important uh, to have a little logo on something that says I bought the brand name. Um, you know, we buy uh, cars that, that uh, apply a certain status. If I bought a Tesla and I was driving a Tesla around town, that would send a different message than say, if I bought a 20 year old car and uh, that was not in the greatest shape. And a lot of people in America drive cars like that right now. So if you see someone driving a brand new car, you're thinking that person's probably got a lot of money. Therefore, that prof that person's probably pretty successful. Um, even if they're not, they look like it. Okay, so we gain status by buying things. Buying things causes more necessity for production and production uh, efficiency. Now, rising production demands more labor you need a larger labor force so yeah you can create jobs but that inadvertently causes things like more resource usage things like fuel uh thus higher carbon emissions not to mention the you know connected destruction of natural areas overseas you know the more things that we buy here in the states that are made overseas we need materials to make those things and generally that comes from it comes from all over the place. I mean, we hear about the Amazon rainforest being cut down all the time. And we hear about, you know, all these jobs that uh, are maybe a little fishy over in places like China and things like that, which I've talked about on the show before. These are the types of things that are results, direct results of our consumerist habits. This is why we, you know, talk a little bit more. And we're going to talk more about this on the show, but this is why we also talk about, you know, shopping consciously. Where has something been sourced and all this type of stuff. But when we're buying stuff for status, we don't really pay as much attention to that a lot of the time. So let's go back to this. So rising production demands more labor, causes more fuel usage and, and you know, usage of other materials and resources, higher carbon emissions, destruction of natural areas overseas, of course which causes all sorts of local issues. And by local, I mean local to the area that is producing our things. You know, let's say if this is in a, whatever other country that is producing that stuff, wherever the jobs are out there, it degrades things over in their areas, such as, you know, degraded air quality from factories and stuff that may have been put in, uh, perhaps oil fields, perhaps, I mean, it depends on what you're buying and depends on what you're looking at, but there's you know, cutting down the rainforest, um, just it, it, that definitely degrades the air quality. It uh, displaces and it, it causes a lot of animals to go extinct. We've got a lot of data that is very depressing to read about how many animals have been displaced and how many animals simply don't exist anymore directly due to, yes, poaching, um, of course, but very much due to us cutting 
forest down, you know, not to go too tree hugger on you guys, but <laughs> it's when you, when you cut down their home and they got nowhere to go, I mean, that's, that's the result. And, uh, and, and we're losing plant species and, and things like that for the same reason. So it's, and it's even resulted in native tribes to those areas losing land to corporations and governments looking to make a profit on the exploited land. And corporations and governments in those situations are, are typically working together to, you know, just to uh, have a place to maybe put a factory or, or whatever it is they want to use the land for. It's, it's very common for native tribes and indigenous tribes in those areas to lose their land it happens all the time we've been doing it to people of indigenous cultures for a long time um, and this is just the fact of the matter here so with all of those factors you know it's clear to see why it's so important to pay attention to what you buy um, even though that's not exactly the topic we're talking about but what we're talking about here is how um, wealth inequality causes environmental harm. Now, in this example that I just talked about, where we buy stuff and we're obsessed with status and, you know, it changes production and causes all these potentially negative side effects, um, it's a ripple effect, you know, overseas. We're less aware of it because it's overseas. It's very easy to be oblivious to this stuff. So we'll move on a little bit further here. We're going to keep explaining this, keep talking about this. So far, we've described how having money to buy things causes environmental harm. We haven't addressed specifically how wealth inequality and income inequality can actually cause it directly. Now, think in terms of who's got money and who doesn't have money, okay? If you don't have a lot of money, you have less money to purchase things. A lot of time, like working families, things like that, the money that they've got is typically spent on bare necessities. And those of you who live paycheck to paycheck know exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like it's probably most of us. But when the paycheck to paycheck thing starts to happen, when you got kids to pay for, when you're working three jobs and living that hustle life and things like that, and you're just trying to make ends meet, you are in survival mode and everything like that. The things you're buying is usually things like groceries, you know, utilities, and, and you're basically just paying the bills essentially right there um, and gas. Now, those things make a lot less of an environmental impact than let's say someone who has money to bunch of spare money or a little bit of spare money to spend on stuff to spend you know often on stuff get new cars every two to four years uh you know upgrade their clothes all the time go and buy brand name everything go and shopping at the mall all the time so basically you got more money you get to buy more stuff that makes more of an environmental impact than someone who has less money to buy less stuff makes sense makes sense all right, so let's move on a little bit more here. Now, the book mentions some really cool uh, studies all throughout it. One of those studies was research into the use of water in Costa Rica compared to energy usage in the U.S. And what they found during the study was that social pressure in Costa Rica to decrease usage of water as a habit was far stronger when within a community that considered itself as a group of peers. And now all 50 U.S. states were studied, and in states with the highest inequality, there are weaker environmental policies typically, and more ecological degradation as a result. Now that's fascinating connections there. Now think about that in terms of the U.S. really quick. Let's go back to the Costa Rica part. Social pressure to decrease usage 
Can you imagine social pressure to decrease water use? We do some kind of in the U.S., but I mean, think about it, guys. I don't have the numbers or stats, but I don't think it's a mystery how wasteful we are of water, energy, all kinds of stuff in the U.S. We're a very wasteful country and compared to a lot of other states. And so when we have imagine having a community that generally pressures has this social pressure to to decrease your water usage or your energy usage you know what if we had a society i can't help but think what if we had a society that thought about this so much was so conscious of the resources that it used that you legitimately felt that obligation you really did feel it wasn't just a personal independent obligation that we typically have to conjure up in the u.s to be sustainable um in the in in costa rica here it looks like now i've never been to costa rica but according to the study it they have this social pressure like they feel this obligation to decrease water usage just because of the general mindset of that community and the interesting thing, when it says it's a group of peers, they consider themselves a group of peers, it just means that they consider themselves a community. You know, they consider themselves as neighbors, as equals, that kind of thing. Now, in the U.S., we see such a difference there when I mentioned that competitive lifestyle. It's true. I mean, we meet strangers. A lot of the time, most of us are already on the defense Political climate here is so hot. Social climate, very, very hot. We've got outrage culture going on right now. And that being the case, it can be very difficult, especially when it's on a hot button issue, to talk about things. And I mean, can you imagine trying to pressure a city right now into lowering their energy bill because it saves the world? I mean, some people might look at that in a positive way and appreciate that. But if I've learned anything about Americans, it's that we don't like being told what to do, right? We consider it, you know, infringement on our constitutional rights a lot of the time. It's a little extreme, I think. But, but we, we, a lot of times, we really get defensive when people try and tell us what to do. We think oftentimes, stereotypically, we think that it is someone, you know, trying to infringe on our freedoms and things like that. And so... It can be very difficult to set up this cultural obligation here in the States. So I just find that really interesting how Costa Rica had this, you know, a bit, they studied their, the actual social pressure. I haven't been able to find, uh, I was looking online and I wanted to study, I wanted to find the actual, you know, text of that study. I'm still searching for it. If you guys find it, definitely let me know. But, uh, See if you can do some Googling. I, I, I was researching a little bit. I didn't have a ton of time. I'm going to keep looking for it, but it's a study. It's again, it's a, it's a, a research into the use of water in Costa Rica compared to energy usage in the U S it's in the book. It'll give you more information. Um, I had the audio book and so I didn't get to look and, you know, usually a book will have like sites and sources and I'm sure it does. I just haven't had to, uh, a chance to actually look in a physical book. So but uh, definitely check it out. If you find any research like that, I would love to read it um, and, and see what some of the details are there, see what some of the qualifiers are and things like that. That would be fascinating to read. So we're going to take a short break here. Quick little recess. When we come back with a refreshed mind, we're going to talk just a bit more about inequality, of course, 
And uh, what we're going to do is go over the donut diagram uh, of the donut economics model. I think it's lovely, personally. And, uh, and we'll go over some of that. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Sustainable Culture Podcast. My name is Jet, and we are going over inequality and uh, talking a little bit about distributive economics. So when we speak about inequality, we're speaking about it, of course, through the lens of distributive economics specifically. And so if you have a different version of inequality in your spectrum, I would love to hear about it and definitely send us whatever thoughts you might have at sustainableculturepodcast at gmail.com. You can comment and anything like that. Wonderful to open up a discussion on this. Um, I've been talking about this with uh, my roommate like a lot of the day today, actually. And um, it, it really makes for fascinating discussion because, I mean, when you read the whole book on uh, donut economics, when you, you know, look at the field itself, the entire field of donut economics, um, it involves everything about what is included in building a community up. Um, not just inequality. Inequality is just one topic, but I mean, it talks about really, really practical things that you can really latch on to. And so um, I would still, I would really recommend checking it out. I know I've already mentioned it a few times, but I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. So, um, so let's get back into it. So inequality, wealth inequality, income inequality, in some fields um, of economics and um, different different philosophies some people out there will try and tell you or at least used to I don't know if it's still as as frequent but some folks out there are you know that would look at inequality as this tool to help an economy grow and the mentality behind that as I understand it and correct me of course if I'm if I'm a little bit mistaken here but as I understand it some folks who think that inequality is healthy now some inequality is is okay um but the problem we're having right now is that we're seeing rising inequality we're seeing a farther apart some inequality is natural obviously you're going to have people that perform better than others that have uh, a better head start maybe they you know had better uh, opportunity at birth you know that kind of thing um, it just kind of depends. Inequality is always going to exist to some extent. The inequality we're really talking about is this vast inequality. And so basically it, do it doesn't make economies grow faster as we've been made to believe. I mean, it, it really, I just don't see the data out there. And if you disagree, I, I genuinely, please do send me some information. I would love to read this. But the more and more research I've done, I just don't see how wealth inequality makes an economy grow faster. And in fact, and, it, and I'm backed up on this. In a study by, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but Fred Federico, <laughs> Federico Singano or Chingano, Singano perhaps, uh, Federico Singano for the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, he stated 
plainly. He said, when income inequality rises, economic growth falls. Since 2018, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, has also been warning us of essentially the same thing. They go into a little bit more detail, though. They say, if the income share of the top 20%, the rich, increases, then GDP growth actually declines over the medium term. So what we're seeing here is professional opinions on this backed by research, and you can go look this up on their websites, OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation Development, and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Um, these are huge organizations. These are big <laughs> names out here. These are not like tiny, you've never heard of them firms. They're confirming here that the higher the inequality, the less growth we have. The more money that more, you know, the richer that the rich get, you know, if the rich keep getting richer and keep going up and the poor either stay poor or even get more poor, which is even worse. I mean, it just causes this massive amount of instability. And that's when we come up with situations like we had the great, you know, recession in 2008. Uh, there's a lot more detail than that, but uh, inequality was kind of part of what stemmed this thing. And so, so think about it this way. The more people are distracted with this hustle life that we, for some reason, glorify in the United States, we, we have people who, you know, are single or parents. I can imagine being a parent and doing this, but, you know, working two to three jobs and, and sometimes more, and they're just working around the clock. Some of them are even going to school. If you got kids, you got to take care of your kids and somehow you're supposed to take care of yourself and sleep and save money and, you know, be dignified. But if you're stuck in survival mode, what opportunity do you have to, to truly thrive and grow as a person and do what you want to do with your life and stuff like that? If you're stuck in survival now, yes, there's always something you can do. It's you're never just totally stuck. There's always a way out and there's always a way to improve your position um, there's always something you can do every single day. It might take years. It might take months. It might take weeks. But it's important to remember that a hustle lifestyle, this working our absolute tails off um, for very little, is just not a dignified way to live. We don't want to live that way. So the more we get distracted with that type of lifestyle, the less we get to spend contributing to our communities in fulfilling and dignifying ways that foster and strengthen our interdependence that we need in our communities to thrive as a group. We need to be able to thrive as individuals to be able to thrive as communities. You understand? So if we have a community that has some people who are wealthy and most of the people who are not and really just hustle life in it, which is kind of the case right now across the states that's huge inequality and what you end up finding is you're not just finding economic inequality there now you're finding social inequality how often and it does happen but how often do you see the really and i'm talking exceptionally wealthy i'm not talking about you know i have a million dollars i'm talking about exceptionally wealthy like hundreds of millions of dollars when you have people who are super, super wealthy. They don't typically hang out in the same crowds and in the same spaces, not typically, as people who are working class, working with, you know, just, they, we don't see the two people coalescing a lot 
in the same places, doing the same things, buying the same stuff, shopping at the same place. It just doesn't happen. Okay. So you have this economic inequality and now you're experiencing a social inequality. Now you've got division going on and there's, there's nothing being done to combine those things. So we're looking at a problem there. And this is exactly where distributive economics really starts to come into play. Okay. And this is where the, the donut kind of starts to really kick in and make more sense. So uh, you'll see if, and if you're listening, uh, I'm sorry, you won't see the donut. If you're watching the YouTube, um, please go watch the YouTube. If you want to see the donut, or if you just want to Google it, um, just look up donut economics. You actually, it's very easy to find the graph. There's an interactive graph actually on donuteconomics.com, um, which is where I got this. But so here is the donut itself. And as you'll see on here, you've got a, you've got some sections. Basically you've got these sections on inside. You've got this green circle here in the middle, and then you've got these outside areas that are all categorized as well. Now, the green circle signifies our sweet spot. That's where we wanna be. And I'll explain this a bit further. Outside, on the outside of this donut, she describes, Kate uh, Rayworth describes this here as, and you'll notice on the outside, you'll see things like climate change, ozone layer depletion, ocean acidification, chemical chemical pollution air pollution land conversion biodiversity loss nitrogen phosphorus loading in soil and things like that this is all stuff that happens when we overexert nature when we overdo it we're causing things like climate change to get worse we're causing things like biodiversity loss i mentioned extinctions of species earlier um, we're causing nitrogen and phosphorus loading in the soil if we guys, there's places where we have created ecological dead zones based on different mines that we've created and it kills soil. So if we're killing soil, we can't get anything, which is a scary thought. So if we're killing, if we're overexerting nature, we're not going to be able to, to do that for long term, as we know. And if we under focus on our on our uh social foundations here and that's where we go into the middle here in the actually the donut hole part if you will um if we lose focus on our people on our communities then we're coming into a social shortfall where we are ignoring our people and then we run into things like you know social justice issues civil rights um, things like that it's kind of, we have case in point examples of that right now uh, that we can look at. And so this is tried and true. This is proven stuff. And so, and we run into things like, you know, in the social foundation is kind of based on things like gender equality, housing, uh, energy, water, food, you know, health, education, income and work, peace and justice, political voice, social equity, all this stuff is all built in the in the social foundation within the middle here now the green circle that's our sweet spot that's where we want to end up and the way that this kind of works is that we it, it's a, it's all about this diagram is all about helping us figure out where we need to balance our processes and our infrastructure and all this type of stuff to stay within that sweet spot to where not only are we providing our communities all of the social dignity and justice that that everyone demands and deserves but we're also doing that without killing nature at the same time so we have this 
donut in the middle to kind of keep this sweet spot. And she describes in the book in such detail how it is quite possible to get there. Okay. And, and she describes this in such amazing, uh, just, just so fluid and it's just so fun to read. So, I mean, the main question is how do we get there? How do we get to that sweet spot? Right. That's where we want to get. So Kate Rayworth talks about five main pillars to break down and reinvent so that we can understand how redistribution of wealth, as she puts it, is possible. And don't let this scare you when we say redistribution of wealth. We're not talking about socialism. We're not talking about taking everybody's money and giving it to other people. She talks about redistribution of wealth in terms of coming up with better infrastructural systems that prevent, uh, you know, systemic um, opportunity where we we end up being locked into that survival where we can never invest, we can never thrive. This is about investing in our communities. This is about really investing in ideas and all this stuff. And so the five pillars that she talks about goes into that. So number one, she goes over land ownership. Who owns the land? She goes over some really, really fascinating topics there about things like collective land ownership, which is something that was always the case uh, before, uh, you know, before we started colonizing the U.S., um, a lot of indigenous people collectively owned the land. It was it was not owned by, you know, an individual person per se, not so much. That wasn't necessarily a con we kind of brought that concept with us, the concept of owning land. Um, and so she goes into some fascinating ideas on collective land ownership, other ideas that are kind of uh, similar to that. Number two is currency. We have to address currency. She goes into fascinating stuff like um, what you call complementary currencies and different types of other things that aren't necessarily money that we could use within society where uh, we could actually use as an extra currency to complement actual money. You know what I mean? So, um, and we'll go, I'll, I'll talk more about that in just in a little bit. Number three, labor, our workforce. That's can't forget about the workforce. You have to focus on that. Uh, number four, technology. Now, this is a big one. Um, she talks a little bit about robotics. Uh, she talks quite in length about how we have to admit that there are jobs that are more efficiently and more accurately, in many cases, done by robots. We've been using robots for a long time. Robots basically build our cars um, and all kinds of stuff. And so, a lot of people are, are scared of that and they're worried about how, oh my God, I'm going to lose, you know, my entire worth because I'm going to lose my job to a robot and I don't really have any other skills besides this. Well, don't fear because there are many, many ways that we can actually use this kind of, this kind of thing to our advantage if we change our infrastructure accordingly. And she goes into that in so much detail. It's absolutely fascinating. And then the last thing, number five ideas. In other words, the innovative commons, she calls it. Now in episode, I want to say it was episode three. I, um, I interviewed uh, Chris Cochran, who is from a company in town here called the Innovation Collective. The Innovation Collective right here in town, fifth and lakeside in the Innovation Den, is one of those innovative commons, basically. Um, they essentially, it's a, it's a place where you can go and it's where ideas are it's where you collect ideas. It's where you share ideas. You know, she talks a lot about how uh, patents um, can sometimes stifle 
actually ideas and the way that we structure our patent system and copyrights and stuff like that. Um, so really building up this innovative commons, a place that people can go and feel like they can spread their ideas all over the place instead of a corporation patenting something so nobody else can make anything similar to that. It's a, it's a waste of creativity in some ways. And she goes into far more detail, of course. Now, these pillars each cover in great detail opportunities within our current system to give people more power. That's the key here is we want to give communities more power. A lot of the problem that we have right now with our economic system, I think a lot of people agree with this. A lot of people might disagree. But a lot of problems that we're seeing here is kind of the result of a highly centralized economic system that we currently have. We have a largely centralized system and it kind of accidentally creates this one size fits all thing over 50 states, over, you know, thousands of cities and everything that we have that we have with our unique mini microcultures here in Coeur d'Alene. If you've never been to Coeur d'Alene, you, you won't really understand, but here in Coeur d'Alene, we have such a unique uh, culture here. It's not anything like any other city I've ever been in. It's, it's its own thing. And a lot of cities would say that it's their own thing. You've got to decentralize and let communities have more power in order to make economic systems that work more specifically for them. And so that's, she really goes into that. So when you give people more power over their communities and individual destinies, it, it creates an entirely different paradigm when it comes to how a community works, what's okay, what's not, who owns what, who, you know, where capital comes from, what currency is used, what technology is used, what, what innovation is actually being used and how. So all of that gets included. Each one of these pillars utilizes creativity, innovation, you know, value of human life, and still prioritizes the health of the natural world, which is what is amazing. That's what that sweet spot is that we talked about. Now we will cover each of those pillars in detail and I'm excited to do it, but we are out of time for today and we're gonna have to do that next time. Uh, this is gonna be a several part series um, and I'm very excited. This being a several part series and I've done a ton of research on this already, um, we're going to get much more detailed when we start to go over these pillars. That'll be our next time. And we're going to do, I'm probably going to send out a couple of extra, you know, bonus episodes because I, I really want to go over this. And I think it's, I personally think it's fascinating. Um, let me know what you guys think though. You know, we will uh, definitely be covering, covering much more Kate Rayworth. Um, check out her stuff, by the way. I told you, her, you know, you can go to donuteconomics.com. Check her book out. Look at the creation of the donut graph and see what you think. Go watch her TED Talks, read her book, check out other economic research in other countries uh, like Switzerland, Costa Rica, Denmark, and other really forward-thinking countries like this that are beta testing all these really cool economic systems and see what you think. You know, uh, see what you make of it. Send me your ideas on ways you think we could improve our inequality here in the U.S. and what you think about inequality in the U.S. I would love to hear any related research you folks may have come across. If you've got opinions that disagree, I would ask that you try and back it up with something. See if you can give me something to kind of go on. I'm all about listening to opinions and I will never fault you for giving them to me. I share opinions all the time. But 
see if there's something I can latch on to. If you have uh, like a related article or if there's a video you can send me, I would love to do some more research on that. Let's make this a collaborative discussion. I'm no economic expert. I'm a novice at this stuff. I've just happened to do some research and I'm just conveying some geniuses knowledge uh, with you guys. And so I'm going to keep doing that a little bit. So thank you again so much, folks, for listening. Thank you for watching. Please share, please like, please subscribe. Uh, it really, really does help. Anything you can do to get the word out, uh, share it with a friend, tell them to listen, post on your Instagram. You know, I don't know anything about TikTok. If that's possible, I sound very old and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but definitely you can find us pretty much everywhere. YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. I'm on SoundCloud, all the stuff. If you use none of those things and you use one of those generic podcast apps, you'll find me, Sustainable Culture Podcast um, at gmail.com if you want to send an email directly. And if you want to donate to the podcast, you can donate on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Sustainable Culture Podcast. Would greatly appreciate that as well. So thank you again, folks, for listening to the Sustainable Culture Podcast. I'm Jet McLaughlin. I'll see you next time.